If you will, please stand with me at the reading of God's Word for us. We'll be going through various passages in the book of Ephesians, but I want to start in chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, right after the Lord describes how it is He gives us every blessing in Christ, how He gives it to those who are dead in trespasses and sins, and then makes us alive in the Lord Jesus by the riches of His grace. And then He goes on to start speaking about our relationship together. As we read Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, pay attention to how concerned the Lord Jesus is for your relationship with his people. Listen to verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself not Millions of individual Christians, but one new man in place of the two separated peoples, so making peace and might reconcile us who were divided from one another, both to God in one body together through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, and He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined, and here's the title of this sermon, together, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place For God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. You may be seated. The moment that sin entered the world, a deceiver comes into the world. In that moment, relationships crumble. Adam abandoned his wife and left her defenseless to the deceiver. Adam, when called to account by God, accused 
his wife, blamed his wife. The marriage was broken immediately. The moment they have children, we see how that relationship was broken when Cain eventually kills righteous Abel. Abraham, when fearful, sacrificed his own wife and her virtue for his own safety. The brothers of promise sell the brother, Savior, Joseph, into slavery. Take this note of what happens the moment we are separated from God. Ephesians just spoke of this. We need to be reconciled to God. But we also need to be reconciled to one another. Separation from God leads to separation from the people made in His image. This is what sin destroys. Our fellowship, not only with God, but with all who are meant to be like Him. All who we are to love in the ways that He's called us to. And if that is what sin has done, then salvation has to be the solution to not only our problem with God, but our problem with one another. The Lord Jesus died not only to bring us to God, but He came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. Not just peace with God. Peace to one another. Be back together and have peace together. That's why He says, you together are being built up into a a holy Temple, not just individual temples of God, but a holy temple. You together are being built into a dwelling place for God. Jesus saves a people. The book of Ephesians rebukes Christian isolationism. The book of Ephesians, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, vocalizing the will of the Lord Jesus, rebukes self-centered Christians. The book of Ephesians rebukes neglecting the people that Christ saves. We are so used to thinking about salvation individualistically. We are called the Bible Belt. We are the people who have access to so much truth. And we're so focused on ourselves. I want you to notice in the book of Ephesians, right after chapter 1, talks about the blessings that each and every Christian receives in the Lord Jesus. That chapter, talking about the salvation, blessings of Christ, culminates not in focusing on individuals, but verse 22, on the church, His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. You are not the fullness of Christ. I am not the fullness of Christ. The church is. Chapter 2, after describing how this salvation happens, focuses 
all upon in verses 11 through 22, how this salvation brings us together as a people. Chapter 3, whenever Paul is reflecting on his great privilege to take the gospel to the Gentiles, he says that the purpose of God in eternity is revealed in verse 10. You see this. I'm going to preach. I'm going to bring delight to everyone. The mystery, the eternal purpose of God, he says in verse 11, this eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, he says the purpose is in verse 10. That through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Through the church, the gathered people that Christ has saved. After that great prayer that we reflected on in the sermon on strength, how we have, He is strengthening us in chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, to glorify God in the church. The second half of the book, while it makes comments about your life as an individual who is following Christ, all of it is in the context of your relationships with others. You see this point. The second half of the book of Ephesians is all about relationships. That Christ saves us and our salvation is shown in relationship to Christ's people. This is the sermon in a sentence. Jesus saves a people. Jesus saves a people. If you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus in a saving way, you will often hear, and this will sound very appealing to you, how Jesus has come to save you, you as an individual. It sounds appealing to our selfish hearts to think that He came just for individuals. But that is a lie. He did not just come for individuals. He came for a people. He doesn't save anyone just for a private relationship with Him. He doesn't save anyone just for a private relationship with Him. Let us see this in the book of Ephesians through the three images of the church, that eternal purpose of God to show off the work of Christ in the church. Let's see the three images of the church in the book of Ephesians and the Lord's interest as it is revealed in, in your relationship with the saved. Let us let that lead us to reflect upon our relationships with Christ's people. First of all, we get the first image that Every Christian is a member of a family. Every Christian is a member of a family. The first image is that of a family. You see that in chapter 1, verse 5. In in reviewing the blessings that we have in Christ, God predestined us for adoption. He predestined us for adoption. I have friends who are building their family through adoption. And they're building their family as quickly as they can gain the funds that 
that are needed to adopt. Well, God the Father is expanding His family, and He's doing that over time, but He has all the funds already. He has accepted the payment in full from the the blood of the Lord Jesus on the cross when He bled for sinners. He was buying sinners according to the predestined plan of God. He says in chapter 1, verse 5, God predestined you, Christian. But He doesn't say He predestined you, Christian. He says He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. He's filling His home with more and more believers so that even the thief on the cross was not the first child or the only child who entered the home of God. He is constantly filling up His home with more Children, listen, to be a Christian, by definition, is to be God's child, but that is not all. It is to be a brother. It is to be a sister. If you're a Christian, you have a family that is made up of more than just the triune God. He adopts us with other children. That is why a, an approach to the Christian life that is just me and Jesus, an attitude about the Christian life that says, I love Jesus, but not the church. I want you to see how offensive that is. It is so offensive. It's the kind of thing that is only voiced by those who are deceived. They do not understand this. To be God's child is to be a brother and sister, not only of the Savior, but of the saved. How would you feel if one of your children was living with disregard toward your other children? You can just think about your own family. You've probably experienced this if you're a parent. You think God feels any differently than this? Chapter 5, verse 1 says, Be imitators of Him as beloved children. You are to be like your Father who loved those others so much that He did not spare His Son. And will His Son accomplish so little that He leaves you only caring about yourself? No, that is not salvation. Because chapter 5, verse 2 says, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. If you are to walk like Him, you will give yourself up for the same people He gave Himself up for. You may be even making plans right now for the holidays. You may be very aware of broken relationships in your family. You may be praying deeply for healing. Wondering if some are going to come or how it's going to go if they do. All of those are signs that things in our families are not right. Imagine a family who never sees each other, who never serves one another. What kind of family would that be? 
So the Lord says you are a family church. You are the adopted children together of God. But there's another image in the book of Ephesians having to do with family. It is, it is the bride of the son. Look in chapter 5 and verse 25. Whenever the Lord turns to husbands and starts telling husbands to love their bride. He leaves the example of Christ loving his bride. Who are you? If you're a Christian, you are part of the bride of Christ. You, yes, as an individual Christian, you are the brother or sister of the Lord Jesus. But you alone are not his bride. You alone are not his bride. We are his bride. Jesus gave himself up, not just for you, but for her. What is your attitude and commitment and devotion daily toward her, the bride of Christ? See how in verse 26, his attitude for her, he gave himself up on the cross that he might set her apart. And now, having cleansed her by the washing of water, he is working on her, verse 27. He's working on her. Are you in her? Are you a part of her? Look what he's doing with her. He's presenting her to himself in splendor. He is working out the spots and the wrinkles so that she might be holy and without blemish. The great song says, from heaven he came and sought her, and I just want you to understand that is not primarily about a single female. Anywhere in the world, he came for a bride that stretches across continents and centuries. So Christian, hear God in the book of Ephesians, devote yourself to her, the bride, the one who the world rejected. The expensive Moabitess, Ruth, was a picture, not just of individual Christians, whenever she was redeemed by Boaz, a foreigner who came with lots of bills that the first Redeemer did not want to pay. He did not want her. She was not lovely to him. The church was lovely to the Lord Jesus. The church who seems so unworthy to you and me, the unfaithful prostitute, Gomer. That one who is so unfaithful even to her, her own husband. The one who we might look down upon, the Lord Jesus delights in. Devote yourself to the gathering of imperfect sinners. This is the will of the Lord Jesus for you. There are obvious blemishes now. There are all kinds of problems with our church and every church. Do not mistake those blemishes you see now 
as some sort of prophecy about what she will be in the future. He is splendoring the church now. And and, and heaven will not be the first time that this bride is seen. And in some sense, she will be only seen in heaven for the first time, at least in her fullness. But this is what I mean. There will not be anyone counted among her in heaven who neglected her on earth. There will not be people who spent their whole life walking with Jesus in the neglect and, 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 and not caring at all about the church who all of a sudden are among her? No. That is not what the New Testament pictures. It pictures all of the individuals making up the collective bride. If you are here and you're not a Christian, I want you to see the Lord Jesus' love for sinners. He came to seek and to save the lost. And to save the lost, He died on the cross. And He was raised from the dead to save everyone who would turn from Him. I want you to call on the Lord Jesus. He will not reject you. He will save you and love you. And He will bring you into His people. Turn to the Lord Jesus and join His family. And devote yourself to following Him in the context of His body. Jesus saves a people. The second image we see in the book of Ephesians is one of a house. We read about this earlier, the household of God at the end of chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. The house. Let this instruct your approach to your Christian life. The way that he considers his people as his house. Whenever we were cast out of the presence of God in Eden. The whole world lost an experience of God. God himself was gone from the experience of people. He's enormously gracious. And so he kept on pouring out his blessings upon people, giving them life, giving them his goodness, giving them his power. But you know what Romans 1 says? It says that they suppressed who he really was. They could not really recognize who was giving us all of this goodness and power. We could not know him rightly if he was gone from us. And so, whenever sin came into the world, we were separated from God and every response to God and what He really does bless us with further separated us from Him. And so in chapter 2, verses 13 through 14, He gives this amazing declaration of what has happened to you who were without God in Christ Jesus. You have been brought near. And you have been given peace with him and with all that he gives peace to. Christ has brought God back to earth. Where is God? He is, we can say, really on earth. Where on earth? Where on earth? is God. He has an address. At the end of chapter 2, we're told what the address is. His dwelling place. His temple is 
his people. Together, you see that in verse 21, the whole structure is being built together. I think verse 21 is a reference to the whole church, like like that spans across centuries, that spans across continents in Christ the whole structure, this huge temple is being made up in the Lord. But verse 22, I think, is a reference to a different view of the church. Because he goes from saying the whole structure to you also. The whole structure, every church collectively together. Verse 22, every church individually You also, church in Ephesus, the saints who are gathered together, you are being built together. It's not just the church throughout all the world. It's not just the whole structure that this is true of. It's true of every individual church is being built together. There is a construction in progress. You, Redeemer Church, are being built together. Together, Right now, this is what is happening. You are being built, not individually, at least according to this passage, but together. Yes, chapter 3, verse 17, Christ lives in the individuals, but God's house is, is bigger than that. Each Christ-indwelt believer is only one stone. A stone that Christ lives in, but a stone is not a house. The stones together make the house. Notice at the end of chapter 2 how it is we become this. I, I hope that this has not just fallen on bored ears. God takes up residence on earth. Don't let some cheap view of grace or God make you ignore the offense of sin that set up these two cherubim with flaming swords that kept out everyone from the presence of God. The blood of Christ He has let the swords fall upon Him so that He has brought us back into the presence of God. But now God is alive and and living on earth. How does this happen? How is it that there can actually be a place in this fallen world, this broken, sin-filled world that is so holy that God Himself can call that His home. This is where I live. You want to see who I am, where I am? Look at these people. At the end of chapter 2, it tells us, by the Spirit, the Builder. You see that? 2.22 You are being built together by the Spirit. What is the Spirit doing? What do you want the Spirit to do in your life? How do you want the Spirit to lead you? This is what He's doing. He's building a house. And notice in chapter 2, verse 20, that He's building that house on the slab of Scripture. This is a church that is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That is a church that is 
strong and growing on the Scripture. And he's building this house, conforming it to the cornerstone, that first stone that was laid, Christ. This is what the Spirit is doing. He's building a people to be the house of God. And that process and its completion is made even more clear in the next image of a body. Point number three, chapter four, verses one through 16 is the image now of a body. What was so striking to me whenever I was committing Ephesians to memory was verse 16 of chapter four. Some of you have heard me say this. Notice chapter 4, verse 16, the synonyms for Christian. Look at your Bible, chapter 4, verse 16. There are two words in verse 16 that are synonyms or, or words that are equal to what a Christian is. Do you see them? Chapter 4, verse 16, he describes each Christian is a joint and a Part. I want you to just let those words describe you as a Christian. You as a Christian in God's eyes are a joint. He sees individual Christians not by themselves, but as connected, joined to other Christians. Do you see the second word that is a synonym for Christian in chapter 4 verse 16? It is a part of. Are you a Christian? You're not the whole. You are a part of a whole. Every joint. You see that? Everyone. Not some joints, but every joint. And you see that? Each part. Every joint, according to chapter 4, has a job. Each part has a purpose. And the whole structure or body does not become what it's supposed to be if every joint is not doing its job, if each part is not doing its work. The job of every joint, the purpose of every part is to make the whole, not the individual, not make yourself grow. Oh, hear me, church. Hear this. I'm encouraged by you. I am encouraged by our church and how you get this, but just see it in God's Word. So many people out there are only concerned with what they can do for themselves. Saved from what? Saved to be a joint, helping the rest of the joints. Saved to be a part who purpose is to make the whole grow up. A Christian is not just concerned with his own comfort or his own relationship with Christ. Each and every is committed to each and every. And here, right, he's talking about the church in Ephesus, so he's talking about our church as well, each and every in our church, not those in your church that you find the least annoying. Each and every 
one in the church, not just the ones that you have similar life stage connections with, similar backgrounds to each and every, making the whole grow. I mean, you just back up to chapter 4, verse 1, and you see verses 3 through 6 is all about unity. This is all about unity, isn't it? Maintaining unity, one body, one spirit, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Each and every is focused on the unity, the whole growing up. The spirit using the church to conform you to Christ's image on the slab of Scripture. You see how that's repeated in chapter 4, verse 11. When Christ ascends into heaven, He gives gifts to men. And who did He give? Verse 11, He gives ministers of the Word. He gives ministers of the Word to accomplish His purpose. Verse 12. So that the saints would, would minister to one another to do what? To build up, to grow the body of Christ. Verse 13, the goal is to All of us, we're not done until all of us attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Till all of us mature in Christ. Till all of us reach the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Spirit using the Word to make us like Jesus. You and I cannot ignore a crick in our neck. Maybe you can, I can't. I just really struggle. I have a low pain tolerance. And so I have this little crick in my neck and I'm just constantly aware of it. And I think it's right of me not to be so unconcerned about this pain in my neck. You and I should not take for granted the nose. What what I'm trying to get at is that each part nurtures each part. We don't, if one part or member of the body is suffering, you better be concerned to take God's word and to help them to trust Christ in that suffering. Each part nurtures every each part, each part needs each part. You don't just ignore one another. You don't treat others like you don't need them to help you and this whole body grow into Christ. You need each other. That's why he says back in chapter 4, verse 25. Put away falsehood. And each one of you should speak the truth with his neighbor. I don't think that's next door neighbor. We are members one of another. It's the neighbor next to you in church. In the body. The word is the way and Jesus is the goal. For the whole body. Jesus saves a people. The fourth thing I want us to see is all of these relationships within the family, within the house, within the body are to be pursued unto the Lord. This is point number four, unto the Lord. You'll see that starting in chapter 5, verses 22. Through chapter 6, verse 9. 
when the Lord thinks of His followers, He categorizes us as members of a family, as stones of a house, as parts of a body. And I just invite you to consider how wrong it is for bodies to be broken. How wrong it is for houses to be divided. How wrong it is. For body parts to be amputated. Those are the realities that Jesus overcomes. Those are not realities that Jesus approves. Consider the wrongness of a divided house. Jesus is not okay with neglecting your spouse. Jesus is not okay with parents who abuse their children. Jesus is not okay with children who dishonor their parents. He's not. Consider the wrongness of a house that is built on sand. And what kind of destiny is there for that kind of foundation? Consider the wrongness of a house that was glued together. And what will happen when the pressures come? Consider the wrongness of leprosy in the body. Of parts of the body just wasting away or falling away. How wrong it is when we see sin's effect in our mortal bodies. Last week, Ephesians revealed that Christ descended to conquer so that He might ascend to fill all things. Fullness is about control. It's about rule. It's about supremacy and glory. And church, His Lordship over you will be seen in your relationships to other believers in particular. And in particular to the other believers in your church. Our devotion to being who He says we are as a church will be seen in those relationships, but also in the relationships we have at home and at work. I want you to look at chapter 5, verse 22 through chapter 6, verse 9. And what I want you to see is not only what we saw in the beginning, three images that we are to worship the Lord together, but that our togetherness is our worship. Our togetherness and how we are together, the way we relate to one another together is the way that we worship Christ, is the way that we say you are wiser than me, is the way we say I submit to you as my king. How we relate to one another together either pleases the Lord Jesus and honors Him or it does not. It's very clear just in the language. Chapter 5, verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands. My text does not say if they are godly. Instead, it says as to the Lord. 
like you submit to your husband as you would submit to King Jesus. Now I could say I could say things about don't submit to them if they are calling you to disobey Jesus. I could say things about that doesn't mean you need to subject yourself to abuse. But I, I just want to stay here in the in the words that speak about how our relationships to one another prove our relationship to the Lord. Chapter 5, verse 25, love your wives, husbands, as Christ loved the church. You see how each of these commands, whatever role you're in, has something to do with your submission to Jesus. You don't decide how you love your wife. When did Christ love his wife? Was it when she was submissive? Is that when he sacrificed himself? No. Chapter 5, verse 32. This mystery of husband and wife is profound and it has to do with Christ and the church. What you do in your home says something about the gospel and about Christ's role and the church's role. You're either saying, it's not just about your enjoyment of your life. It is saying something about the gospel. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, you should obey your parents in the Lord. Not just if they're walking in the Lord. You do it in the Lord for this is right. It is the right thing for you to do. Verse 4. Fathers... Bring them up not in your ideas or how your father taught you, but in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Point for point, every relationship proves our relationship with the Lord. Or doesn't. Verse 5. Bond servants. Listen, it gets even stronger at this point. Obey your earthly masters as you would Christ. Not acting, verse 6, but as Servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service to people with a goodwill as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing, verse 8, that He's watching and He's going to give you a reward. Whatever you do, He's going to respond to. Verse 9, masters, do the same to your servants. Stop your threatening Their master is your master. He's in heaven. There's no partiality with him. Adam and Andy talked to uh, us when they were visiting a few weeks ago about how the Lord had taught them about marriage in this really difficult season of, of years of physical affliction that Andy in particular was facing and that they were trying to get answers for. And they realized, both of them, that until the Lord taught them this lesson through the physical affliction that Andy was facing and how Adam needed to serve his wife, that that neither one of them really understood marriage before that moment. That all before then, they were serving themselves. Or they were serving on their better days their spouse. Like, Like when Adam needed to rise up and 
alleviate issues for his wife. He would do that so that she would think well of him or so that when she felt better, she would serve him. Or in the better moments when he was loving her more, they finally learned that all of this is about serving Christ. When I serve you, I don't do it to serve you ultimately. I don't do it to serve me so that you'll serve me. We are serving Christ in these relationships. I'm doing this for Christ. I'm doing this because of Christ. I'm doing this in the way that Christ would have me do it. You are not the only one who chose your spouse for you. You are not the only one who decided to have children in your home. You are not the one who chose your parents. You are not the only one who arranged your work situation. Jesus did. He is master over all, and we will all answer to Him. So wives, in the home, you can show the world how the church submits to Jesus. What a glorious call you have. You get to tell the world what the church is like to her husband. Husbands, you get to show the world how Jesus loves his bride. And the way that you love your bride. Children, you can show the world that everyone in the world is under authority, and you are too. And authority is from God, and it's good. You can, when you submit to your parents, when you honor your parents, even when you don't agree, you can show that you trust someone who's above your parents, and you are honoring Him, and you know that He's going to make all things right, even when your parents mess it up. Fathers and mothers, when you were over authority, masters or people in in the workplace who were in authority, you can show a power-hungry world, a self-serving world, that you are not God just because you have authority. And that you will use your authority in ways that He approves and that reflects His character. Jesus is all in all. And that means He's the example, your example, For your influence over others to serve for the good of others. He is the example of honoring imperfect, submitting to imperfect and selfish rulers. Sinful authorities. Look at the Lord Jesus and follow Him. There is one who is above all. Above you and your influence. Above you and your submission. And above those you're submitting to. And He is watching and He is worthy of your service to Him. Jesus is the one who gave you the mother that you have. Jesus is the one who gave you that child who's difficult. Jesus is the one who gave you that sinful wife and husband. Jesus is the one who calls you to an imperfect church. Jesus is the one who calls you to love and sacrifice yourself for difficult church members. He is the one calling you to love and sacrifice and give and honor. He puts you over people. He puts you under people. And you're either going to serve Him or you're not. If this is the way that Jesus views your salvation, that you become a different kind of person who doesn't approach your life for you, but serves his body especially. 
if he's the one who views you as, as a kind of husband or wife or child or parent or employer or employee, if he's the one who thinks of you that way, who are you denying if you neglect those things? It is not just those humans. It is the Lord Jesus. Jesus saves a people. And in the next two weeks from now, the, Lord, the way the Lord has just orchestrated this, we will keep unpacking this in terms of redemption. But let me leave you with this thought that we'll pick up in two weeks. The level of selflessness in your relationships. The level of steadfastness and commitment to your relationships with the children of God, with the temple of God, with the bride and body of Christ. That says more about your salvation than your words do. Father in heaven, we pray that you would cause this word to bear much fruit in our hearts, that we might honor you in our relationships, in the ways that you have called us to love and imitate you as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. Lord, we pray that our homes and our work and our church would be powerful displays of the gospel of a great Savior. And we ask this in His name. Amen.